It's time for Tom Girl with JJ Jurgens. A different breed. Welcome to Tom Girl, where we talk all things sports, entertainment, fashion, and adventure. Today's guest is an Emmy Award-winning sports broadcaster who has announced over 1,200 women's basketball games in her career. She's worked for conferences such as the Big 12, SEC, and Big 10, and for major outlets including ESPN and Fox Sports. Prior to broadcasting, she coached at the University of Nebraska and was a former college athlete herself, played basketball at Kearney State College. Welcome to the show, Brenda Van Langen. <laughs> thank you, JJ. I'm so glad to be here on the show with you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, thank you so much for taking the time. And I got to say, all those accolades, you'll always just be coach to me. That's the first <laughs> name that comes. <laughs> That's right. When I was at the University of Nebraska, JJ played for me and we have such good memories. I'm sure we'll get into that today, but I'm so glad that we've stayed in touch over all these years. You have had a tremendous career and it's been so much fun to follow your career. Well, I just always have such a warm spot for you in my heart because you changed my life as a little, you know, college freshman, actually as a senior writing and asking to, to play for Nebraska. So you you made this girl's dream come true and you've, you've changed my life. So I'm so excited looking. I, I mean, I look up to you and I admire you so much for just you're such an incredible person, but for everything you've accomplished in your career and what you've done for women in sports broadcasting, uh, it's just incredible. And you continue to do so. And especially with this new project you're working on now, you're doing a docu docu-series called If Not For Them, going over the history and highlighting the history of women's basketball that people don't know about. Tell us about this project. Well, it's it's certainly a passion project. And, you know, I'm, I'm so glad to have coached in my career and had this long broadcasting career because my whole life has been about sports and I would not have had the opportunities I had if not for them. I mean, that's why I've called this docu-series, if not for them, if not for the women and the men who supported them that really built the foundation for college women's sports. And as I, as I started this project, I really was focusing on those years right before the NCAA took over, which was in the early 80s. Uh, we were about to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Title IX, and I wanted to help tell the story of those women that really built that foundation. And as I spoke to them, they kept pointing to those that came before them. And so as I, as I researched and read books and talked to people, I realized there had never been a documentary series written on the true history of women's sports and how things got started. And so this, this docu-series is coming together. It's in production now where we, we start really primarily in the 50s, but there's some history before that, and talking to the women that lived it and those that had opportunities across the country in the 50s and 60s became our leaders when we needed it the most, when the NCAA wasn't interested in women's sports and actually fought against it, and Title IX was passed. And those two things, those leaders that had opportunities uh, came together with those that were denied opportunities, and they created really the foundation for what we have now. And, you know, everybody sees what, what happens now. And 10 million people watched the national championship game for basketball this year on ESPN. Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese became household names. You know, the Women's World Cup, soccer and the NWSL, volleyball. I mean, you and I are both connected to the University of Nebraska. You know, this month in Lincoln, they're going to host volleyball matches at the football stadium and 91,000 people are going to come and watch a women's volleyball game at a football stadium. And I mean, the, the what we're experiencing in women's sports right now is unprecedented, but this docu-series is about how did we get here? Uh, who built the foundation for what we have? Yeah. Are you going to go to that Nebraska volleyball game? I'm not. My brother is a volleyball coach in the state of Nebraska. He'll be there. I've got a cousin that's a coach and she's going to be there and her family. I am not, but uh, I am, I am uh, really looking forward to hearing all about it. Yeah. My dad's going as well. We've been talking about it. I'm like, oh, I so wish I could go back for that. It'll be incredible. Yeah, it's going to be cool. It's, it's going to be epic. I mean, nothing like it, right? Nothing like it has ever happened. It's pretty darn cool. 
be awesome. Now, uh, back to the docuseries. Uh, I think, you know, even watching it, what I've seen of it so far, I was just so enthralled because being a college athlete, even I didn't know so many of those um, stories that you're uncovering and sharing. Talk about some of the, you know, individual stories or things that maybe surprised you or that you really like have, you know, enjoyed about this research that you've done. Yeah. Well, through this project, I've been able already to interview over a hundred women and the men that supported them. And it's really, it's, it's more than sports. It's more than basketball. It's about women's empowerment and equity and, and changing social norms and, and, and really changing how the culture viewed women at the time. And, um, God, there's so many great stories, but a couple of them that really uh, I think people will be so interested in uh, and go, I had no idea. Uh, in the 1950s, there was a team in the panhandle of Texas called the Wayland Baptist Flying Queens, the Hutcherson Flying Queens. They were called the Flying Queens because they had a sponsor. They had a sponsor in the 1950s that provided airplanes for them and flew them all over the country to play uh, in AAU competition. And that was the only place that women could compete in sports. It, they were a college, but they were one of the only two colleges in the country that provided scholarships for women to play basketball. And that's the 1950s. So they flew all over the country. We've got great stories. We've interviewed women that were playing on the teams in the, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s for the Flying Queen. So that's a, that's a great story in and of itself. Um, uh, Marion Washington, who a lot of people know, coached at the University of Kansas, has an incredible history. She played in the first national championship game that was just for college teams. And that was in 1969. And a lot of people don't even know about that championship. Championship, and she was a player on that team, ended up being one of the first two black women to play for you for the USA in international competition in basketball, and then was hired at the University of Kansas to be their, their basketball coach, their women's athletic director. Her story is great. And then um, two more quick ones. This woman named Bessie Stockard is one of the stars of the show. If you watched it, you know, she stood out. Her personality is amazing. She just turned 90 years old and she grew up in the segregated South. She, she grew up in Nashville and she loves sports, but she went to Tuskegee to school, uh, predominantly an HBCU, a black school in the South and played basketball and then also played tennis and um, played on the Virginia Slims tour ultimately with Billie Jean King. But she was asked to start a program at Federal City College, a college in the Washington DC area that didn't have a campus, didn't have athletic facilities. And she started a women's basketball program by practicing in high schools all over the country in the 70s and ended up growing that team to be so successful, they ended up beating the three-time defending national champion Immaculata College on an NBA court where the Washington Bullets, at the time they were called the Washington Bullets, played and she ended up getting her team on the front page of the Washington Post because of it. And so she tells that story. And then just another one that really stands out, uh, a woman named Billy, Billy Moore. Uh, she was she was born in Kansas. Her father was a coach. Uh, she didn't have opportunities to play in high school because they didn't have high school sports in in her school in Kansas, in Topeka, um, in the late 50s and early 60s. But she loved sports and uh, she ended up going to I could tell her whole story, but she ended up becoming one of the best coaches of all time. She won two national championships, uh, Cal State Fullerton and UCLA, and became our first Olympic coach when we had a team in the 1976 Olympics. And her interview is probably most um, precious and special uh, because when I interviewed her in person, she was in the final stages of battling cancer and um, was in pain while I interviewed her and uncomfortable, but she sat there through the whole interview and just powered through it and shared these amazing stories and told me as we walked out that, you know, she didn't have much time and just a couple of months later passed away. And so, you know, to be able to capture that history, she became Pat Summit's 
mentor for so many years. And Pat Summit, of course, influenced generations of people in women's sports. And and so, you know, just the the stories are amazing. And basically what I want people to know is this docuseries is not just history for history's sake. We want people to know the history, but the personal stories of these women and the men that supported them are really what what draws it together and makes it so emotional and and so impactful. Yeah, I think of the clip you sent me, just you could see their their passion. And I love they all had, you know, they just have that spunk and that fight, you know, because they're they're trailblazers doing this, you know, doing what they're told they're not supposed to do. Women aren't supposed right. to be playing, you know, things. So what did you find like, you know, those kind of nuggets, like inspiring stories that they had or like things that they they maybe conflicts that we didn't know that they had to go through to to get this done to play basketball. Oh yeah. I mean, so many, I mean, a lot of them, because they were positive, strong women, they didn't want to tell a lot of the stories of the battles that they went through because they didn't, you know, didn't want to be seen as complaining or whatever. And they wanted to, they wanted to celebrate the triumphs of what was accomplished. So sometimes I had to kind of drag out of them, you know, what, what some of the things were that, that they, that they had to endure. And, you know, there were examples, this was a common example, and you, you and people that are sports fans now, you know, will just be shocked about, but there were games in the seventies when the women would play and they would be in the middle of a game, an official game. And the men's coach would come in and say, it's time for the men's practice. You all need to get off the court. And there were there were games. I've had several instances where basically they either forced them off the court or made them have a, a running clock uh, because they just didn't they didn't value those women and what they were doing on their campuses. It was all about uh, the men's sports programs up to that point. I mean, culture was that from the from the like 1920s until the 70s, there were really no school-sponsored women's sports, especially team sports and basketball. And, and so it took, it really took a lot of fighting and battling and just standing up for what was right for women to even have practice time, to be able to play their games on, you know, courts on campuses. And there were just um, a lot of discrimination and a lot of things that they had to endure just to fight for the opportunities that we have now. It's so important that, you know, that people hear all these stories. Cause I was even talking to you before, you know, and it's like watching this, I realized I just got this feeling of being so grateful for coming through and playing when I played, because from a, you know, third grade, I had opportunities and just realizing, you know, that my own mom, it's, this hasn't been that long, you know, it's like my own mom did not have these same opportunities. So you know, I just think what you're doing, going back and t letting these uh, women tell their stories and have their voices just is so important for, you know, everybody to hear and know about. It, it, it absolutely is to know where we came from. And my, part of my motivation was I found out that my grandmother, who went to high school in the 20s, actually played on a basketball team. And I remember when I was little, her being in the driveway and and we kind of made fun of her because she had a granny shot. You know, she threw it up there underhanded, but she played basketball in the 20s. Oh. But my mom did not have opportunities in the 60s when she went to school. So I was like, what happened? Like, why did they have opportunities? And then all of a sudden it was shut off. And so that was part of the research that I, I had no idea. And I found out that um, after James Naismith invented the game, a woman named Senda Berenson uh, was a PE teacher at Smith College and wanted to adapt that game for girls and women to play. And it became very popular. They changed the rules. It wasn't exactly like the men's game. It was a half court game where they played uh, three on three on each end, or actually early there, the court was split up into three parts and you had to stay in your section. And But it was still basketball. It was still trying to put the ball in the hoop. And it was very popular for even like a couple of decades into the 20s. It was started in 1892 and into the 20s. It was very popular. But there was this faction of people that were like, wait a minute, we don't like that women are so competitive. We don't like that they're they're uh, um, aggressive. Uh, you know, women should be, uh, you know, demure and and not 
be so aggressive like this and it may hurt their reproductive organs so they can't have kids. And so honestly, there was this national movement headed by the president's wife, Herbert Hoover's wife, that said women should not compete in team sports. And all across the country, high school programs that had basketball, college programs that had it in their PE classes, shut it down. And the only um, opportunities, maybe in PE class, you could you could play for fun, but it was not for competition and not to play keep score. There was no intercollegiate competition. And so the only opportunities ended up being through this AAU where um, companies could sponsor teams in different parts of the country. And then they started playing. And that's really kind of what led to this awareness that oh women can compete and let's make sure that this gets into the college uh, into the colleges so that they compete uh, and represent their colleges so you know there's just so much to it that um, I know people aren't aware of and like I said it's it's more than about sports it, it really speaks to how some real cultural and societal norms were were changed so that girls and women could have those opportunities in sports. Mm -hmm. This has been a little different project for you as you're used to being, you know, broadcasting and now you're wearing the executive producer hat. Um, how has that challenge been for you? It's been great. I mean, I've been a broadcaster of women's sport, women's basketball primarily, but women's sports for 28 years. I, I love it. I love calling games going across the country uh, and, and, you know, getting the best seat in the house and getting paid to talk about sports. I mean, it's awesome, right? And uh, uh, so taking on this project, I really wanted to honor those that had paved the way so that I have the opportunities that I do. And I've always been a storyteller. And so uh, listening and interviewing these women first on phone calls, then on Zoom interviews, then in person, I just started gathering all of these stories from all of these women. And it just came to me what this story arc should be, that we should provide representation from all over the country to make sure that we are inclusive of all stories and uh, give it from players and coaches and administrators positions and, and just really share the stories that um, either have been forgotten or have never been told. And I want people with this project to come away, you know, like if, if you saw the movie Hidden Figures, Right. You you walked out of Hidden Figures and you're like, I had no idea. I had no idea that these women were behind all of this that happened at NASA. Well, I want people when they are able to see this docuseries to be able to say, I had I had no idea what it took for us to have what we have in women's sports today. And um, it, it's we're still in production. Um, I've done it in phases. So, um, you know, I'm I've been a little entrepreneurial in my life and I've worked for different nonprofits and I've had different things that I've done in addition to broadcasting. I was a coach uh, for a while, but um, you know, I, I kind of took all of those things that I have experience in and put it all together and put together a budget. I pitched it to a video production company and, and we launched a website, if not for them.com. And we started raising money just through grassroots contributions. And it became really apparent we weren't going to be able to raise the money for the entire thing right away. So the most important part of this was to get the interviews because a lot of these women that lived through it are now in their 70s, 80s, and some of them their 90s. And so the most important part was to get the interviews. So I, I raised enough money to go put together a strategic plan and go across the country and interview over a hundred women and the men that supported them to capture those stories. And we have over 200 hours of interviews of these stories. I mean, we have so much content, it's incredible. And then our, our next phase was to produce the, what you saw, JJ, a, a preview of each of the 10 episodes so that people could understand the, the breadth of the storylines, the quality of the interviews, 
and, and really what we've captured. And so now we're in that final fundraising push where we're raising the money for full production of each of those episodes. And so, you know, I've learned a lot through the process. Uh, there's still uh, a lot that I reach out to people for consultation and for, uh, you know, just figuring out how to do this in the right way. But I, it's going to, it's going to happen. We need to find uh, a few more funders to help it finish. Uh, but it's going to come together and be something really special that nobody else has has ever done. How can people help you with a fundraiser if they're out there listening and want to contribute? Well, uh, check out our website, ifnotforthem.com, and they can contact me through that or through any of the social media platforms, You know, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, LinkedIn, uh, or at all. I, I'm on all of those and our project is on all of those. And so, you know, whether you just think this is a cool idea and you have a hundred dollars to give, you can go through the website and do that. If you want to give at a higher level, there are different levels of recognition that are spelled out on the website. If you want to underwrite an entire episode, there or there, there are opportunities for that as well. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad to talk to anybody because, um, the, the people that I have spoken to that are passionate about women's issues, women's sports, uh, just making sure that these stories get told, they are they are uh, really have have been the heart of this project, contributing to it and making it happen. And and anybody that um, makes a contribution, you'll receive a link so that you can see that preview of the 10 episodes. So you really get a good idea of what we've put together. Yeah, that link is excellent. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to share that around and try to, you know, get other people to to watch that because it's just so, so eye-opening. It's wonderful. You guys did a great job. The production quality is excellent. You had a small and mighty team, right? Yeah, we're, we're pretty efficient. Uh, it's a it's a video production team, Real Media Kansas City, right here in the Kansas City metro area. And, uh, you know, we took we took a team out across the country for these interviews uh, and packed up like a, a van and every space of it with all this equipment and and drove all over the country. I mean, we've got some stories just from that is amazing. And, uh, and, and, you know, and then, and then the production company, Brad Burroughs, the owner and founder, and he's done a terrific job. And Cecil Searcy worked with me very closely to produce that sneak preview, but uh, not a lot of people involved, but we we've, we've been very efficient with the money that we've received. And uh, I, it, it doesn't look like a small, small operation. Oh. It, it looks really, really good. I mean, they, we made sure that this was done in a quality that it would look great on on a big screen. And when we showed this in conjunction with the women's final four in Dallas, I think people were blown away by the quality that we've put together. Yeah. Tell me more about that. I, I saw you posting about that. And I saw that that happened. How was that experience? It, it was terrific because we were able to, I wanted after we did all these interviews to be able to show people what it is that we had put together and you can talk about it all you want and you could say, Oh, cool. It's a, it's a history documentary about women's basketball. It's like when you see what we've captured, just the sound bites that these women have shared from their experiences, when these women start talking about these memories they have from 50, 60 years ago, their faces like light up and it, it like you can see the young person in them being passionate about telling their story. And, and so when we put all that together and piece together just highlights of the story, because it's going to be a full 50 to 55 minute episode, 10 episodes when we finish this, but we just put together five minutes of highlights to be able to quick hit show people what that was all about. And then we hosted an event. The NCAA actually hosted the event. And quite honestly, the NCAA is not painted in a positive light in, in this documentary all the time because they weren't interested in women's sports at the beginning. They fought against Title IX. And not until the women proved that there was an interest in women's sports did they come on board and say, oh yeah, we're, we're going to now bring women's sports under our umbrella. And um, 
the fact that the NCAA now was willing to host that event uh, and reveal some of the flaws of their past and their history, I appreciated so much that the NCAA did that. But we hosted it in a, um, a really cool theater in Dallas in conjunction with the Women's Final Four. We had 250 people there. We had so many that we overflowed the theater and we had an overflow area with this huge digital wall that people watched it on. And a lot of the people we had interviewed sat there and had tears streaming down their face as they saw this history being shared. And they were fired up and they're like, let's get this thing completed. This is such important history to share. And um, it just gave us an opportunity to thank our initial contributors that got this thing started and then to give an update on where we are and, and what we need to finish it. Well, I can't wait to see it when it's when it's the full series. I'll be hooked and riveted. You and me both. Yeah, I'll be Netflix binging it or wherever it gets picked up binging. That's right. That's right. And 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 I that's that's another thing I would just mention is that yeah, I had some decisions at the beginning of this of how to put this together. And you can put it together and you can have investors and, and people invest in it, or you know, you can go to uh you know, a network or a streaming service and pitch the idea. Uh, but what I came to in all of this is that this is such an important story. I want to make sure that it gets told correctly and um, comprehensively. And, um, you know, I basically uh, talked to entertainment attorney and other uh, advisors. You introduced me to some people early on and just some people that had gone through this before. And what I decided to do was set this up uh, in conjunction, I have a, a fiscal agent that's a nonprofit agency. And so when if people want to support this, they're able to give charitable contributions to make this thing grow and, and make this uh, project a reality. And so um, I want to be able to, to fundraise and find the funders that think this is an important project and want to be a part of it and get this thing funded and fully or nearly fully produced and then pitch it to the streaming and television networks. I already have some contacts, but I am open if people are interested in hearing this and they ha have some affiliation or association and they want to, you know, have this as part of what they provide distribution wise. I, I want to be able to do that, but ultimately I want this to be an educational material that can be a part of curriculums in colleges that are part of leadership studies that are part of women's studies, uh, sports history, DE&I, just all those things that because this part of history has been left out and nobody knows about it and nobody knows what these incredibly strong women did just so we have college women's sports and now professional sports and all this success, I want that to be a part of uh, what people are learning about in the future, because nobody's captured this history in, in this kind of way. And that way it will, you know, it will be distributed that way and ultimately uh, be housed at the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's it's a big circle. It's a big project, but we welcome people who would like to get on board and, and be a part of it to, to check us out at ifnotforthem.com. I love it. Love your vision and love that you just had the, you know, the go getter attitude to get this done. I can't wait. You are also somebody you talk about when you interview these women, you can hear, see them like light up talking about, you know, basketball, you have that spark in you where you always, you know, you love sports and you light up with, with sports. So let's kind of tell people, I would love to talk more about your, your journey and how you first got it started with sports and with your dad coaching to, you know, to college and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, I, sports has always been a part of my life. I've always loved it. And, um, you know, my dad was a, a coach and teacher, and he even coached girls' sports before Title IX. There was a volleyball team at our high school, and I was the little girl that was running around and filling up the water bottles and shagging the volleyballs. And, you know, I just love being around it. And Title IX hadn't even passed yet. And our school, my small little school in rural Nebraska, did not have basketball for girls when I was young. And it wasn't until uh, I was like 10 years old that the high school got a basketball program. And so I was fortunate because then in junior high, I got to play basketball probably three or five games a year, not very many, but I did get to play in high school. And uh, I loved it. it. We had we had really good teams uh, in 
Roseland, Nebraska, uh, because we had a lot of good athletes um, that were girls and, and the community supported it because I think I think because we had so many um, talented female athletes, you know, if you have a big family and you've got girls and boys, you want the same opportunities for your girls that the boys have. And so I, I think in, in those rural communities, um, you know, we experienced that kind of success. And it wasn't until um, I, I went to college and I was I was recruited a little um, to, you know, not very much. Recruiting wasn't like you know, what it is now. Uh, but I went to high school in the early 80s and I was recruited to play basketball at Kearney State College, uh, which is now University of Nebraska Kearney. And, you know, it was there that I got my first taste of oh yeah, girls aren't, uh, women aren't being treated the same and don't have the same opportunities that guys do. And, you know, our, our locker room was small and we shared it with all the PE people. And when we traveled to games, we stuffed 12 players, two coaches and a trainer in a 15 passenger van with all of our luggage to, uh, you know, travel across the, the, the Midwest. And, um, you know, it, it was, uh, it was challenging, but, it was an opportunity. I was getting to play uh, college basketball. And um, I always thought, I, I always knew that I wanted a, a career involved with sports. And I thought really my only path would be to, to be a teacher and a coach. And so I got my, my degree is in business education. I started as a high school business teacher and a coach. Uh, but because of the experience I had as a college athlete, I wanted to be involved with college sports. And so I ended up reaching out to Angela Beck, the head coach at the University of Nebraska, and said, you know, I'd love to be on your coaching staff. And she invited me to work her camps in the summer. And then I was hired as a grad assistant. And then I was elevated to full-time assistant. And that's when I met you. And, you know, people, you know, get a chance to hear your podcast and know a little bit of your story. But you know, you, along with the current coach at the University of Nebraska, Amy Williams, who was Amy Gusso at the time, you two came on as walk-ons on that program and and basically asked for the opportunity. And then you came out and worked so hard that we as a coaching staff, there was no way we could deny you both the opportunity because you worked harder than anybody out there and you elevated everybody's energy and work ethic. And, you know, because you did that, you made the team better. And I appreciate you saying that I, you know, I had a part in, in changing your life because of that opportunity, but you earned it. You absolutely earned it. And, uh, and it's why you've been so successful in your career as well. Oh, make me tear up. <laughs> yeah, it really was. I look back as one of the most important moments of my life, you know, writing that letter to ask you guys if I could have the opportunity to walk on and 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 meeting Amy, who is still my dear best friend to this day and seeing her, her coach now just makes me so happy and just... Yeah. You know, I remember being in, you know, I remember coming home from games and we'd be, we were roommates together and she'd just be breaking down the game, you know, for hours, like afterwards about play by play. So she knew then that she had that, that coach in her, you know, to come back and do that. But no, I just appreciate you and Nebraska and, you know, every, all the opportunities the university, university of Nebraska gives women in sports, but, yeah. but back to you. <laughs> so <laughs> Um, so then I, I love, I wanted you to tell your story about getting into broadcasting. And then there's one story that I've heard you tell in talks that I would love for you to share with everybody about when you got your first big broadcasting break, but, my first big break, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, my, I've been so fortunate and it's just been a, a charmed life in a lot of ways. Uh, when I left the university of Nebraska, I thought I either, wanted to be a coach at a smaller school uh, or just get out of coaching and more into sports marketing and event management and things like that. But I, I didn't want to lose touch with the game. And so Nebraska public television, Nebraska public media, what is what they call themselves now. I think they were way ahead of them. They were way ahead of the times in that they were broadcasting women's basketball on television way before most anybody in the country. Uh, they were broadcasting games in the 80s and 90s way, way before uh, a lot of women's uh, or, you know, sports networks uh, were broadcasting games. And so I went back to the Nebraska public television people 
because they did like three games a year. And I said, Hey, you know, I don't have a broadcast journalism degree, but I love the sport. I know the coaches and the players and I love to talk. You know, So would you give me a chance? And so that's how I, that's how I got into broadcasting was through Nebraska public television. Uh, Kevin Kugler, who, you know, now is a tremendous play-by-play announcer in the NFL and, uh, you know, NBA and college sports was one of, he and I kind of got started together with Nebraska public television. Recently we worked together and we went, they pulled up some old archive video, uh, video footage. And we're like, Oh my God, how did we both ever get into this? We, <laughs> we did like a five minute open for a game and just talked and talked and Oh my God, it was hilarious. But, uh, that's how I got started. I did those three games per year for the university of Nebraska. I, I moved down to the Kansas city area and got connected with a sports technology company down there called coaches edge. I did a, a, a game or two a year for the university of Kansas, like on, on ESPN regional at the time. And, and I really wanted to, to, I loved it. I loved being able to to talk about the game and break down the strategies. And I love being connected to the game that way. But, you know, I was doing like three or four games a year. And um, the Big 12 Conference was just forming. Now all of the stuff going on with the Big 12 Conference, it's not what it used to be. But the Big 12 Conference was just forming in the 96, 97 year. And I really wanted to be a part of their television package because Fox Sports had made uh, a a contract with the Big 12 to have a a really good television package for Big 12 women's basketball. And and so I was trying to make connections and so forth. And uh, I I got a job as the executive director for the Women's Final Four that was held in Kansas City in 1998. I got to meet Pat Summit in in person as they were going for their third straight national championship. Uh, It was a terrific job and um, absolutely loved it. But I was only doing about three or four games a year. And it was like, how, how can I break through? How can I, I do more? And that's when my, that's when my lucky break happened. And so here I am in Kansas city and a friend of mine, her name's Patty Phillips, who is now the leader of women leaders in college sports, who's a, which is a phenomenal organization, but she and I were friends and she had her 10 year old niece. And we went over with a group of people to KU to Allen Fieldhouse, And it was take a girl to the game day. And there's this huge line out the door. And I was like, I don't want to stand in this long line. I'm going to sneak around to the media entrance. Cause I've done a few games for them. And, uh, I, I snuck around to, to to try to you know get inside because there were some people I wanted to talk to before the game started and and all of this because of, you know of all the work I was doing with the Final Four, so I walk in and this the sports information guy says, "Oh, good, you're here." And I said, "Oh, well, good," because I just snuck in the door. Thank you. And he said, "Are you ready?" I said, "Ready, ready for what? The game? Yeah, you know." He goes, "No, to do the national television broadcast today." I said, what are you talking about? I said, no, I'm just here to watch the game. He said, well, Fox Sports is televising this game nationally, and the analyst for the game didn't show up, and so they need somebody to do the game, and that starts in 15 minutes. So are you in? I'm like, hell yes, I'm in. Let's go. <laughs> but I was so, like, so nervous, and I mean, usually – even even up to that point, when I prepared for a game, I did studying and put together notes and watch game film and all of this. So to just walk in and call a game was a stretch. But I knew the KU team and I knew K-State and I put on my headset. And my play, play-by-play partner looked at me like, who in the world did we just pull off the street to do this game? <laughs> and luckily it was a good game and I called it. And afterwards, my producer said, hey, come out to the truck. I want to talk to you and said, you're pretty good at this. Would you would you like to do more games? And I said, absolutely. And it's what launched my career. I mean, a, a lucky break. I walk in and had this opportunity. And um, luckily, I was prepared and and uh, performed well. And it, it really it really launched my career. I just love the story. I listened to you did a TED talk on it. And I just, I just think about that. And I'm like, it's so amazing to just, to say yes and to do it and to not let, like, I think so many times in life, we let that fear or the doubt or that, that, you know, those other thoughts creep in and you didn't, you just went for it and stepped into it. Yeah. And it's part of what I talk about in that Ted talk and other speeches that I do, because how many times in life are we offered an opportunity 
and we're afraid that we might fail or we're, we don't think we're quite prepared enough. And I think especially as women, uh, I think so many times we think that we need to be prepared completely perfectly in order to try something. And I think that moment taught, taught me that sometimes you just have to go. You just have to trust that your training, your preparation has prepared you for this moment and, and you and you go for it. And, and I think it's helped me in my life be more of a risk taper, taker, more a, more willing to to try things that are uncomfortable and are stretch. And it's part of this, if not for them project. I've I've never produced a docu series before, but I've told stories of women's basketball for years and years. And I want to pay homage to those women that that blaze the trails. And so I'm gonna I'm stretching, doing something I've never done before for to to really um do something that's never been done before mm -hmm. and in some of uh, you spoke at the k-state graduation ceremony as well some of the other motivational things that you say now um for people out there listening that maybe could utilize some of these tips that you have what are some things that you've that you taught touch on in your speeches you know i i really talk about um that stretch you know, dreaming beyond your comfort zone. Think about what you can accomplish that uh, seems impossible. Uh, because if you would have told me when I was in high school or college that my career would be as a sports broadcaster calling women's basketball games on TV, I, I never would have believed it because it wasn't available at that time. And so sometimes you have to stretch and dream bigger than you can even imagine to accomplish the things that you want to in your life. And you have to be willing to take risks, like I said, and, and step out of your comfort zone. And you have to approach things with just enthusiasm and just courage and, and bravery. And, um, you know, I talk about appreciation, showing people uh, appreciation that have helped you get to where you are because you you never get anywhere on your own. It's a, a team of people, whether it's coaches or teachers or, um, you know, colleagues or your former players or whomever, uh, you know, being appreciative of those people and then and then just being willing to make it happen and 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 decide if this is going to happen, I need to do it. And I'm going to step forward in faith and in courage and make it happen. And that's um that's that's my message when I speak to groups a lot of times. And it's just it's it's how I've tried to live my life. And um and now as I have uh, nieces, a niece and nephews that are, you know, into college and, and looking at their futures. You know, I just had a Zoom call with my nephew Cade yesterday because he wants to get into sports broadcasting and, you know, uh, provided him some encouragement and some uh, ways that he can prepare and, and you know, prepare for broadcast and, and, and prepare his way of thinking for how he does those things. And, you know, I'm at that point in my career where I want to be a mentor for others and uh, help them to find their courage, find their uh, authentic path, and just to, to step out of their comfort zone and and make things happen. Because, you know, um, just nothing has ever happened great that didn't have an enthusiastic, passionate person behind it making it happen. And so that's, uh, that's a big part of my message. Yeah. So Talk about from that first time you, you said yes to this, you did that job when, you know, you could have just said, no, I'm not prepared. I didn't. And now your whole career just, you know, took off from there. I, there's so much to talk about with your career because you've done this so many, but are there maybe, maybe touch on maybe some of your favorite games you've worked or highlights of your career that really, you know, mean a lot to you? Yeah, absolutely. I, my, my career grew from that time that I got that first exposure, um, the first time I did a Fox sports game, um, the day after my sister's wedding, uh, I, I, you know, I could have not prepared as well because I was the, <laughs> I was in her wedding and we partied the night before, but that game that I did the next day was seen by ESPN and they invited me then to, uh, be a part of their team. And, and so I grew and I've been a part of calling those NCAA tournament games, uh, for a, a very long time. And, um, you know, being a, a part of being able to tell those stories has been so important to me. 
Uh, I also, because of that sports technology company that I worked on behind the scenes, we did this animated software that showed the circles move on the basketball court to explain the movement and the pacing of plays. Well, that allowed me to work behind the scenes for ESPN. And I've worked behind the scenes for 15 national championship games in women's basketball and some NBA games and WNBA championships as well, where there's circles and movement on the court that explain it. Uh, sometimes that's me in the background creating those things. So that's been really special to be a part of those production teams at ESPN. That's a part of the national championships. Um, I got to call uh, six or seven uh, NCAA division two national championships and two of them were at my alma mater at the university of Nebraska Kearney. So I got to go back to where I played basketball and call a national championship game on television. So that was pretty special and pretty incredible. And then I got invited um, by a group that was televising the World University Games about 10 years ago. They were in Russia, which I've been telling people lately. Thankfully, I did that 10 years ago and not now. But I went to uh, Kazan, Russia, and I called 15 games, beach volleyball, men's basketball, women's basketball. But the 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 most special game was calling the uh, gold medal game uh, where the U.S. defeated the Russian team. And it was this arena where, you know, 95% of the fans were Russian and, you know, a very small contingent of people from the United States were there. And you'll appreciate this as a small town Nebraska girl, right? Uh, Jordan Hooper, who played for the University of Nebraska, who is from a small town in Nebraska, got to start on that team. And she hit a three-pointer early in the game. And I was able to reference uh, the call that Matt Coatney, the voice of uh, Husker women's basketball on the radio, says when a three-pointer is uh, made is, you betcha. And so on this on this international broadcast, I said, you betcha, when Jordan Hooper made the three. And so like this whole full circle life thing is going on with, uh, you know, my Nebraska connections, but being able to call this game where the United States wins the gold medal, um, it, it was, it's pretty special. I, I just, I, I've been so blessed. I have so many great memories over the years and, uh, you know, have been able to call a lot of games and I, I, um, I was an analyst, you know, when you watch a game, there's play by play and there's an analyst, there's two announcers. And I was the analyst as the former coach and player for a lot of years, but I shifted over about halfway through to be a play by play announcer as well, because a lot of networks were asking me to be a play by play announcer. And even though I didn't have technical training in it, um, I think they were seeing opportunities uh, that I wasn't aware of and they were seeing things in me that they thought that I could do that. And by shifting over to be the play-by-play -play announcer has opened up a, a completely new opportunities for me because I've got to work beside, beside some of the best coaches and players in the history of the game uh, as the analyst to be able to set them up. And, you know, everybody from Candace Parker, who of course is now on, you know, TNT with NBA coverage, you know, she did some of her first games with me beside me for ESPN and Asia Wilson, who plays for the Las Vegas Aces in the WNBA and Andrea Carter, who was just out of college at Tennessee. And she sat beside me and worked with me for a couple of years. And now she's one of the biggest stars on ESPN in all the sports. And so the fact that I've gotten to work beside, you know, some of the best players and coaches in the game has been just phenomenal. Here I am, small town girl from Roseland, Nebraska, and uh, have got to be a part of all these in incredible broadcasts across the country. Yeah. And you did so much of it yourself because you still, you don't have an agent, correct? Or you did it. That's right. Yeah. So talk about some people out who are out there in the small towns that want to dream to, to be you when they grow up, give some advice of like how you've done this all by yourself and how you created this. Well, uh, that's a, that's a really good question. And it's kind of been step by step. And um, yeah, I don't have an agent and a lot of people in our industry do. Uh, but I think because of uh, part of partly because of the timing as I my career kind of grew with 
the explosion of women's basketball being on television, you know, where I was able to do a few local broadcasts and then moved up to do those big 12 broadcasts on Fox and then was seen by ESPN. It was partly the the work that I was doing. People were recognizing my work and, and asking me for things and my willingness to say yes. Um, and I learned early that don't turn down any job because you think it's too small, like take on any opportunities that you can. And then when I was asked to be uh, play by play, uh, I was hesitant at first because, um, you know, I when there when you watch a game and you listen to the play by play announcer and the analyst, they are completely opposite in how they watch the game and when they comment and so forth. So when I go to play by play, I have to like switch my brain to, to think about it differently about what my role is and what I'm supposed to be doing as my role on the broadcast and so forth. And I mean, it was a stretch. It was absolutely a stretch and it took me a few years and I am definitely not a typical play-by-play -play announcer, a highly trained Syracuse University professional play-by-play -play announcer. I'm a I'm a play-by-play -play announcer that knows the game and loves the game and can set up my partner because of the experiences that I've had and and how I want to be able to tell the stories. And so that's you know that would be my advice for people is don't you don't have to fit in a box. You don't have to be exactly what has always been done. I think there are so many changes happening in all of sports broadcasting and television overall that new worlds are going to be opening up and being open to and being willing to take risks and try new things and and use your strengths, things that you're good at, things that, that you um, have been able to develop over the years and you can hang your hat on, that might just be the, the pathway to the next big thing. You don't have to be traditional. You don't have to do it like everybody else has always done it. Carve your own path and, and open up things because that's, you know... I um besides being the analyst and then being play by play and then being willing to be in the production truck behind the scenes, you know, that's that's what's opened up all these doors for me is that I I'm flexible and can do all these different things and kind of adapt to what's what's needed and what my what my strengths are. So that's what I really encourage people listening. I don't care what industry you're in, understand your strengths, understand what you do well, because when you have a job or you work at something that is not in your strength, it's a grind. It's hard. You have to push through. It's, it's difficult. But when you're, when you are working in your strength and your area of passion, it doesn't seem like a job at all. It's, it's just, it, you enjoy it. You love it. You pour into it. It gives back to you. You give to the people around you. Find your strengths and and find a job that allows you to play to your strengths because that's where you'll get the most fulfillment and it it won't seem like you're working at all. Yeah, love what you do. How have your how do you process? What's your process like when you're getting ready for a game? I um you know I I want to be well prepared. I uh, I do a lot of studying whether online. You know the the universities usually do a really good job of providing information through their media relations office about stats and storylines and things like that. But, you know, digging in and, and reading articles that have been written, watching a lot of game film, uh, setting up meetings with the coaches ahead of time to be able to gather information. And then I try to put it together in a very organized way, excuse me, so that I am, the, so that I am prepared uh, when the game comes. And then, you know, when it starts, then you call the game, you have all this background, you have all this information, but you call the game, but you reference the things that you know, and you have learned about during the course of it. I, I think some people that get into broadcasting, they, they want to show how much they know, and they want to show how much that they've studied and all that they all that they've gathered. And they, it, they provide too much information. It's too, you know, too much for people to listen to and really soak in and listen. And so it's important to be able to tell things concisely. I've learned through my time at ESPN and some great mentors that I've had, let it breathe. You don't have to talk all the time. There, there can be dead air, let people hear the, the crowd interaction and things like that. But, um, you know, it's, it's really important to be prepared because 
um, they're going to be in sports. Anything is possible, right? Uh, and and you have to be prepared, whether it's to know the rules or to know a backstory or to 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 know some history or whatever, because something might come up in the game. If and if you're not prepared, you may not be able to reference those things. And and you want to be able to bring all those stories together to make it really compelling and interesting for people to watch. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much for sharing. These are great tips for everybody out there. I could seriously talk to you for hours. I've kept you so long, um, but before <laughs> I let you go, I do want to talk about one more thing that I know that you did that I find so interesting. You're you're still an athlete, but you completed, you did a half iron man. Tell me about this. <laughs> I'm like, Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, you know, as a former athlete, I, um, I always, you know, like to go out and shoot baskets or I wanted to stay in shape. But over the years, I started, you know, gaining some weight and not being as fit as I wanted to be. And um, I ended up in my early 40s getting involved with a sprint triathlon uh, because an old, well, an old friend of mine who was a student manager for our team, Marsha Merrill, um, wanted to do a triathlon, but there weren't any around Lincoln. So I said, Hey, there, there's this women only triathlon in Kansas city. If if you come down to it, I'll, I'll get ready with you. And I really didn't think she would do it. And then she said, yes. And then I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> I mean, because at the time I, I wasn't even a very good swimmer. I mean, I could swim, but I had never swam for distance at all. And I had to learn how to swim. The the first sprint triathlon I did, I did the breaststroke, the side stroke, the batch backstroke, because I didn't want to stick my face in the water in the lake. And I and it and it made me like hyperventilate and all of this stuff. So I I had to get through that fear. And that it's another one of my stories. Like you have to push through your fear sometimes. And I did those sprint triathlons for several years. And then I started working out with a trainer and he's like, you know, you should do like a half Ironman. I'm like, I can barely do a 500 meter swim. How There's no way that I can do the swim that's required for a half Ironman. And he really worked with me to build my confidence, to swim, to freestyle, stick your face in the water, learn how to breathe, all that stuff. And it's like, I knew once that I did that, I could do the rest of it. And so Uh, I was going through some transition in my life and it was like, I I needed something to like really push myself and to focus on. And so I signed up for this half Ironman. And then I found out if you don't do the swim in a certain amount of time, they basically pull you out of the water and you don't get to finish the whole thing. Or if you don't do the bike in a certain amount of time, or if you don't do the run, you don't, it doesn't count as being completed. And I'm competitive enough that I'm like, hell no, if I'm going, yeah. if I'm going to, if I'm going to work out and train for this thing, there's no way that I'm not going to do this. So, I mean, I was, I am not like a world-class triathlete or anything like that. I just did it to prove to myself that I could and to help myself be more fit. And I, I get there that the day of it and there'd been this big storm move through. And so I knew that I could swim about a 45 minutes. I can't even remember what the distance is now, like half a mile or something. And, and, but you had to get done in, a, in an hour and 10 minutes. So I knew I could do it, but I got out in the water and the waves were so big that I'd come up and I'd get splashed. And I was like, oh my God, this is how people die. Like, this is not good. And I was freaked out and I, I I went to the famous philosopher Dory who said, just keep swimming. Right. (laughs) Yes. And, and I swam and I just one stroke after another. And I got in at like one Oh three and, and, and beat the one ten cutoff. So I made it. And then I got on my bike and I, I was like 20 minutes below the cutoff. And then I ran the half marathon and I got about 10 miles of the 13 and my legs felt like lead. And it was like, you know, just keep moving, just one foot in front of the other. And 80 people signed up in my age group. I was, uh, let's see, I was 52 at the time. Uh, five years ago, I, 80 people signed up and I placed 50 and in the, I've placed 50th 
And the official record says I was 50th out of 50. So that means 30 people didn't finish. And so I beat all of those people, <laughs> but I was last place uh, of the people that finished, but I finished. And it was like one of the biggest, like, I did that sort of moments of my life and kind of like reinforce, like, you can do anything you set your mind to. And it was, uh, it was a huge deal. And I have, I, I, it was once in a lifetime, don't plan on doing it again, but, uh, you know, pretty proud that I was able to finish, uh, before they yanked me off the course. <laughs> yeah, you should be proud. That's just, that's a huge accomplishment. I, I can't even like fathom. I've done some sprints and I was telling you you're doing a marathon in a, a week here. And I'm just like, oh, an Ironman, half Ironman. I was like, wow, she's a badass. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so good for you. It, it it was a good way to stay fit. And, uh, you know, that's important as we, as we get older, uh, you know, being strong and being fit and taking care of ourselves, it's, it's an important part of what we do. And, you know, as I interviewed people for this, if not for them docuseries, I interviewed women in their nineties and they, you know, because they were involved with athletics in their life and they have stayed fit and they, you know, have, have stayed focused, you know, they're just amazing. And so they've been an inspiration for me too. And I think people that get involved with this uh, project, you know, and check it out at, at our website, if not for them.com, they'll see, you know, what remarkable women these are and how inspirational they are. Yeah, exactly. So you just gave the website again, tell everybody again, like where they can follow you on your social handles or how they can just learn more about this project. Sure, absolutely. You can follow me, uh, Brenda Van Lingen, uh, on Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Threads. But we also have If Not For Them accounts set up on all of those too. So you can follow specifically the uh, the project and, and learn more about how to get involved and, and learn about storylines and things like that. Uh, through our social media, through our website, if not for them.com. Again, there's still opportunities for people to get involved, whether you just want to support it um, in, in a small way or whether you have uh, a lot of money that you want to make a, a tax deductible contribution and be a big part of uh, of this project, all, all are welcome. It's taken um, over 300 people making contributions of different sizes to get to the point where we are. We still have money to raise, uh, but it's going to get finished and we'd love to have people be involved and be a part of revealing this important history. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today to share all the story with us and share your story with us. I cannot wait to see it when it's done. And I can't wait to watch the journey as it, you continue to develop it and promote it and, you know, just watch how it's going to impact everybody's lives. So thank, thank you, you for doing such a great project. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me to be on. I love watching your podcast and I'm, I'm very excited to have been invited to be a part of it. So thank you. Thanks. All right, guys. Thank you for watching too. And you can follow us everywhere at Tom Girl TV, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and check out the YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And we'll see you here again next week. Thanks. Bye-bye.